0: The question isn't, can you go home again? The question is, do you want to? From the day he left the small town he grew up in, David thought he did. He left Allendale, South Carolina for Princeton, then law school.
1: You know, I really sort of see myself as being a black Matlock or something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of into that idea. I'm sort of into the idea of being the lawyer in town.
0: Just recently, he was offered a job with a country lawyer back home. And so he and his wife have to decide. What are they gonna do? She grew up on a farm outside Allendale. They were childhood sweethearts. And deciding where to go, it's the biggest question in their marriage.
2: I tried to conceptualize myself. Could I really live in a community that small? Could I live in a town with two traffic lights? And I could not see it. I could not visualize it. And I think that only a couple of weeks ago, I told David that I could definitely never live in a town like Allendale.
1: That's pretty strong, language, Lee.
0: In a sense, the dispute comes down to a difference over how they view a central fact of small-town life, that feeling that comes when you know everybody knows you and knows your business. He likes that feeling.
1: People knowing your business or wanting to know your business, I mean, it sounds like a horrible thing, but... That kind of whatever, nosiness, in some respects, keep you in, keeps you in line. Uh, you know, people, you know, knowing that my car was potentially parked at Lettuce House at a time that it shouldn't have been, uh, keeps me in line, you know? I mean, so you don't do that. You don't do the things that you know the neighbor next door can report back to your mom. Uh, you know, you you just have to be a good boy. And that's sort of the way that I, I see myself in Allendale. I'm, I'm Allendale's little good boy. And I think
2: that I always bucked against being a good girl. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, mean, I was not a mischievous child. I didn't have any discipline problems. But I think that at a very early age, I was fiercely an individualist. And I think that, you know, when you want to take stake out and, and behave in your own way and have a personality that, that may not be um, assimilated to everyone else's, It's just painful in a small town
0: because it sticks out. Her views on abortion and race relations didn't square with the prevalent opinions in Allendale. The speech she gave as high school valedictorian, a speech critical of the school system, was a minor town scandal. People apparently talked about it for months. And so for now, they're stuck, living in Manhattan, trying to decide if they see small-town life as cozy or is claustrophobic. Well, from WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, I'm Ira Glass. Each week on our program, of course, we choose a theme, bring you a variety of stories on that theme. Today's program, Small Towns, the claustrophobia and freedom and yearning for small towns. Act 1, Country Mouse, City Mouse, A family moves from a tiny town to the big city, or what seems to them, anyway, like the big city. Act two, a get-together of single farmers who are trying to get other farmers to stay in rural America by marrying them. Act three, three Chicago teenagers make the argument that the public housing project that they live in, a high-rise building here in one of the biggest cities in the country, is actually a small town. Stay with us. Act One City Mouse, Country Mouse. One of the classic American stories is the migration from small town to big city and all the personal growth and dangers and freedom that happen when you make that move. Our contributing editor, Sarah Val, went through that change herself with her family, but with one small catch. The big city that her family moved to wasn't New York or Los Angeles or Boston. It was Bozeman, Montana, population 30,000, which sounds like a small town to anybody who lives in a city, but um, was in fact 30 times larger than Bragg's, Oklahoma, where they started.
3: We were hopeful immigrants from small town Oklahoma who set out for a better life in small town Montana and became new people. Where else but America can an okra-eating, twang-talking, God-fearing good girl like me be given the opportunity to turn into the liquored-up, opinion-mongering heathen I am today? My twin sister and I were born Okies in Muskogee, because that's where the nearest hospital was. But we lived in Braggs, a dusty little Muskogee County nowhere, home to a thousand people, four churches, one school, a couple of stores, and a much vilified bar called The Little Oklahoma. Our mother took us to Bragg's Pentecostal Church three times a week where I got saved, got baptized, and prayed with her and the others in the ladies' prayer meeting for the little Oklahoma to be shut down. And I sang. Sang in church, sang at home, sang along with my transistor radio to the Tulsa country station. I sang for God because I knew God was listening. When I was six, I got a tape recorder for Christmas, and here's the first song I sang into it. I will be a helper at home, at church, at school. I will be a helper obeying Bible rules. When there's work for me to do, I'll do it happily. I will be a helper to everyone I see. I hate that song more than any other every time it pops into my head I shiver because it's a spooky reminder of the docile woman I might have become had I stayed in that town, in that church where there are so many rules and so many eyes upon you. Not to mention the fact that God himself ran the biggest stake out of them all and you knew that come judgment day you'd account for every last slip your preacher and his minions had somehow missed. Small towns are always hotbeds of surveillance, but when you add fundamentalist religion to the mix, the things you can't do outnumber the things you can. Sex is bad, drinking's bad, smoking's bad, women standing up to their husbands is bad, questioning scripture is bad, not attending church is bad, cussing is pretty damn bad, and as my father would soon find out, moving away is really, really bad. If you ask him why we left Braggs and moved to Bozeman, and believe me, my mother's family has never stopped asking. He'll launch into this whole song and dance about his health.
4: One of the main deals was my uh, <clears throat> asthma, health problems.
3: No, Dad, you've been giving us the old health line for years.
4: Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of one of the reasons for leaving there
3: yeah and what was the real reason
4: uh the real reason i wanted out of there (laughs) (laughs) why uh go somewhere that was a lot cooler Mm Mm-hmm. and
3: and any other reasons like uh, that i mean what specifically
4: the hunting's real good here dad (laughs) you're not
3: answering the question tell me what you hated about oklahoma
4: Mainly uh, kind of the heat in the summertime. My
3: dad's being diplomatic. No matter how many times I reassured him that this radio program is not on any stations in Oklahoma and that no one in our family would listen to it if it were, he still didn't want to come right out and say why he wanted to leave Oklahoma. It was to get away from family, his and my mother's. They were nosy and they were everywhere. Every summer, itching to get away from them and Braggs, he'd drive us to the Rockies. Oh, look at the pretty mountains, Mom would say. That old faithful sure is something. My mother, my sister, and I just thought we were on vacation. Turns out Dad was scouting out an escape route. He still wanted to live in a small town. It's just that he wanted to live in a small town where he didn't know anyone. So he picked Bozeman. It was the right size, surrounded by gorgeous mountains, and best of all, had the vital statistics he was after. Vowel family, four. Acquaintances, zero. (music) Arriving in Bozeman at the age of 11, I felt like we had just moved to Paris, a town of culture and ideas, of libraries and movie theaters and record stores. I still celebrate the first day we got there, June 5th, as a birthday of sorts. Bozeman had miles and miles of cement for us to roller skate around on instead of the stunted 50-foot strip of sidewalk in our Bragg's backyard. My sister Amy remembers pulling into town. I remember coming over the pass, and we'd been, you know, driving through the mountains or whatever, and it seemed really super huge. It was weird being around so much concrete and just organization, you know. We were just set loose out in the world, too. We're in Oklahoma. We could wander around, but it was always, like, in the front pasture or the backwoods or walk over to our pa's house or something, you know. None of this, like, just cruise around a whole town, you know. And it kind of freaked us out. (laughs) But it was exciting, too. It was. Um one of the things I liked about living in Bozeman was that there was a library, you know? Yeah. Remember in Braggs, there was that, um, the whole school, there was one little, wasn't it, like, a shelf? That, <laughs> <laughs> there was a shelf <laughs> with some books on it. Right. For, um, 12 grades of people. Yeah. And, um, Bozeman had, you know, separate buildings that were libraries. Right. And, um, how fun that was to just go and look at all the books we wanted. Mm-hmm. Bozeman, i thrived my sister blossomed my father found his thrill but the move was hard on my mom she missed her epic family the thing that made my father squirm about small town life being surrounded by people who know you was exactly what she'd loved about it her family is huge and hilarious with big mouths and bigger hearts and up north she missed her fiery southern style church There weren't any other Pentecostals in Bozeman, so we ended up at the most frigid, watered-down, non-denominational Protestant house of worship possible. We were used to this wrathful, angry Old Testament creator, and sitting through week after week of God is love got pretty bland. And after a few years our church visits tapered off, which was fine by me. Mom, on the other hand, had to deal with not only her own loss of spiritual guidance and community, she had to sit by and watch her children losing Christian steam. Well, let's talk about something we generally avoid talking about. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, do you think, well, as you know, at some point, I basically lost my faith and never got it back and do you think if we had i mean is that a regret of yours do you think if we had stayed in oklahoma i would still be right there by your side at church with you
5: um that's interesting sarah because i do think about that a lot um i i used to just really think especially when i found out that you had you know, lost your faith. I thought if we would have stayed in Oklahoma, this wouldn't have happened to Sarah. And, you know, I feel really guilty and really bad that we moved to Montana and Sarah has lost this. But over the years, as I've seen you grow up and realize and know what kind of person you are, I'm wondering, even in Oklahoma, would you have began to uh, search in different areas and and maybe doubt
3: are you calling me a bad seed? Now? No, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not.
5: I love you very much, and I'm very proud of the person you are and uh that's your choice, you know, uh, but it don't keep me from uh praying every night that you'll return to your face, Sarah. <laughs>
3: Amy told me, I don't remember this, but Amy said that once, when we were about 13 or so, that you, uh, when we were in Bozeman, you sat us down and you asked us if we wanted to go back to Bragg's, and, um, I would assume the reason for that is that if we would have said yes, because you obviously wanted to go back, then we would have ganged up on dad or
5: something. Do you remember that? Uh, Yes, I do remember that.
3: (laughs) Were you really? How was it for you when we said we didn't want to go back? Oh, I was totally
5: devastated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I I remember that very well. Um, I think you were pretty quiet, and it was really neat what Amy said to me. She said, Mama, we understand That you're very unhappy here and that you miss home and if you feel that you need to go back that's okay with Sarah and I Uh, but we want to stay here and I looked at you and I said do you want to stay here Sarah and you said yes I do and so you know I mean I immediately wanted to burst into tears but I thought I need to compose myself here and (laughs) Uh, later that night as I thought about it, I guess it was a real turning point for me actually to to start being happy here in Bozeman. Uh, because I thought, Okay, I can't leave my children, so I better get it together. Because and I know you really don't like to hear me say this, Sarah, because you and Amy uh have been and are Uh, the most important thing in my life. And so there's no way I could have ever gone away and left you.
3: There's so much mother-daughter history in the way my mom says, I know you don't like hearing me say this. Because she knows I don't like hearing her say that I'm the most important thing in her life sometimes because of the guilt that involves. And before I started working on this story, I'd always felt badly about the way she sacrificed her happiness for mine. I grew up believing she would have been better off in her little Oklahoma hometown, surrounded by family, embraced by the church. But I found out I was wrong. Now, do you still want to go back to Oklahoma?
5: Oh, no. No. I, I could never live in Oklahoma again. Why not? Um, I I really think that I've changed too much, Sarah. I mean, I love my brothers back there dearly and my best friend, Kathy, and uh, there's lots of, you know, wonderful people that I just adore and love so much back there. But I do feel that I've changed so much in the 15 years that we've lived here that I could not live in Oklahoma again. So now,
3: Do you think then that Bragg's is just too small? Yes, I do. And when you were growing up there and when you were living your whole life there before you moved to Montana, would you ever imagine that that would be true for you?
5: No. No. Growing up there, I never even dreamed in, in my wildest dreams about moving away from there. I just always thought, I'll just meet someone here and get married and live the rest of my life here. Really? Yes.
3: I guess your dream didn't come true.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Is that okay with you? Oh,
5: yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, as difficult as it was moving to Bozeman the first few years and all the changes, um, it, it really, for all of us, was um, a, a, a good move.
0: Sarah Val's move to big city Bozeman was so successful that she decided to repeat the experience she moved to Portland population 500,000 Washington D.C. population 600,000 San Francisco population 700,000 and then finally Chicago population 2.8 million act 2 how do you keep them down on the farm marry them All across America, people are moving away from small towns and rural areas in steady streams. So if you have stayed in a place where there aren't many people, and the ones that are there you've known since birth, how are you going to find somebody to marry? Well, you might join Singles in Agriculture. They hold get-togethers for singles all over the country. Reporter Liz Weil went with This American Life producer, Elise Spiegel, to a recent get-together in Galveston, Texas, at the flagship hotel, on the beach, jutting out onto the water. There are about 250 people from 26 states at meals and meetings, day trips, and dances.
6: Jim's an extreme case. Smart, charming, 52, looks 40. Living on a farm outside Iona, South Dakota, population 4. It's 30 miles to the nearest grocery store. The weather is so punishing, cows freeze solid standing up. His dilemma? Nobody wants to move to his ranch, and he doesn't want to leave.
7: This is not bragging on myself or anything, but I've had a, a girl offer to buy me a farm in another state if I would move and marry her, but I I can't, I just can't leave it.
6: Was that a hard choice?
7: Yes, yes it was. I, I I, couldn't see why, if I meant that much to her, why she couldn't move there to my place and stuff. And yes, it, her land had been in her family for a long time, and it's,
6: This is a typical problem for people in SIA. They're all farmers, all tied to their land, though Jim's situation is particularly harsh. He tells me he realized that a few years ago when the group's director went out to visit him. Even she was stunned by how isolated he was. She said it would take a remarkable woman to move to his ranch. So do you realistically think that you're going to get married?
7: I would would like to. I guess it's always in the back of your mind you would hope to. But uh, you want an honest answer. I don't think it's going to happen, because it's going to take a special girl. You're a city girl, both of you are. I'd ask you, would, would you be willing to live out, even give the consideration of living out, and trying something like that?
6: Jim's own mother even admitted that had she known where she'd been moving, she might not have married his father and moved to the land. Thursday night, the first night of the get-together, and we're all at a dance in a Victorian gazebo with wood floors so old women have been asked to wear boots, not heels. Everyone's so happy to be here. I have the sense I'm talking to people who don't get to talk to other human beings enough. About 10, I sit down next to Martha, a twice-widowed woman from Indiana. She's small, nearly 60, wearing a sweatshirt she's decorated with glitter and beads. SIA is the focus of her life.
7: It gives me something to live for. Because I'm very lonely and I need this to keep me going. Because, well, the first camp out I went to, I cried when it was time to go home. And they were singing church music, and I couldn't sing. I was crying so hard. And it would give everybody hugs, and I, I love hugs. And this one guy just held me and held me. He said, are you okay?" He just held me and held me till I got kind of calmed down, you know? I said, it just shows how lonely I am, I guess.
6: Martha tells me that her favorite dance is the waterfall. How it works is that the women form one line, the men form another, and the two meet in the middle like a zipper, couples dancing up the floor. Martha tells me she likes the waterfall because you don't need a partner. You just stand in line, and the line moves. You pull a body close, get hugged. The next day is Friday. Half the farmers board yellow buses for the NASA Space Center. The other half trek to Houston for a World's Fair-style livestock show. About every 15 minutes over the course of the day, somebody tries to convince me, no, this group isn't about hooking up. It's about friendship, camaraderie, everyone's one big family. But later in the afternoon, I bump into a group of SIA women who are clearly on the make. One's just bought a t-shirt that reads, cowboy butts drive
8: me nuts. My own shirt, ladies, my own shirt, to the left. Oh, and we were eating, oh, geez, did they walk past us. No, no, the best one was the guy
2: that was showing the Palomino horse. He was good.
6: A little bit the guy in the black hat right here. <laughs> so what do you look for in the depot? These Levi's, Wranglers? What's in them? These girls are a rowdy, hardcore bunch. They're youngish, around 30, loud, constantly making cracks. Kate, the most vocal of them, is broad and strong, a dairy cow Wrangler from Wisconsin. In this crowd, she plays the tomboy. She brags about telling the men she dances with that if someone wants to pick a fight, she'll do the punching. But once alone in her hotel room, her tough girl attitude fades away.
8: I think of myself as a lady. If you treat me like a lady, I mean, I treat them well, but I it's, I, I guess I'm kind of like a tr- more traditional, older fashion, I guess they call it.
6: She goes on to tell me about a friend of hers, a woman who prayed every night to meet somebody, and eventually did. But, so do you do that? Do you pray, like, about what the kind of person...
8: Well, I, well, yeah. I mean, for that, you pray that God leads you or guides you to, or, or guides him and you to meet sometime, you know, and, and what kind of guy you would like, you know. And she told me, be specific. <laughs> You can't just say, you know, a guy has got two legs, and hat, and whatever, a belt buckle, you know? <laughs> but
6: uh, So are you following her directions? Are you being well, specific? I mean,
8: no, I mean, I do this, like, every night, you know?
4: <laughs> okay. This is going to smell terrible. Oh, it does.
6: Down the hall hey, from mates, Kate are Ernie and there Sally, there a couple who met uh, through SIA. Like He's 50-ish from Oklahoma, grows or sesame, or and delivers mail. Fruit. She is a schoolteacher from Kansas, incredibly hot, in a short tight dress and baby doll tea. At this point in their relationship, they only book one hotel room. And right now, Ernie is in there fixing Sally's boot. The smell of epoxy is mind-numbing. They detail their first
4: date. We were going to a dance, Halloween dance. And uh, I got to her house. And in, you know, I six
2: hours and
4: to get there. six hours to get there. And in less than fifteen minutes she was begging me to take her dress off.
6: Okay, let me explain. Ernie had brought over a blue flapper dress. His former wife had made it. Sally wanted to look at it, maybe wear it as a costume.
4: I get there and she's Oh, I gotta try that dress on. She looked at it and she ran in the bathroom and put this dress on. And I waited and I waited and pretty soon I heard this Ernie. <laughs>
2: Well, I put the dress up. Help me. <laughs> and it, it was tight. It was really
3: tight. So we kind of stand there and talk a while. And, and I'm I just said, well, thinking, well, what
4: do I do? And I was, no, Where do you
2: grab? Yeah, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> where, where do you want me to get a hold?
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs> both Ernie and Sally lost their spouses. Minutes, they both felt there. sparks oh, yeah, five or six work. months ago the when sound they sound first spirit. met. That's why everybody's here. They live just a reasonable time distance time apart by SAA standards. But, and this is the problem with the National Organization of Rural Singles. The logistics make it nearly impossible to date. 404 miles
2: from my door to his door. And how often do you get a chance to see each other? Oh, about every two weeks we get together, every couple weeks. It's a good six-hour drive,
8: I don't care how you go. Phone bills are pretty high, too. It'd <laughs> be a lot cheaper yeah, if you marry two. me, wouldn't <laughs> oh. it?
3: He says I push him a little bit. Can you believe that? I can't believe <laughs>
6: that. Do you feel like she pushes you a
8: little
4: bit? No, not a little bit. <laughs> a whole
1: lot.
6: <laughs> Sally and Ernie have this little routine. Like most set pieces uh, couples have, it's only half in jest. Geez, she ribs single? him constantly about getting married. He hedges. They love each other, <laughs> but they're at different points in their lives.
4: She, How long have you been single?
2: Eleven years. His husband died, had a heart attack.
4: Mm-hmm. And I've been a year and eight months, so, so I've got about, about a year before I might decide whether I'm going to do anything, uh-huh. and who if. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Ernie didn't expect to meet somebody so quickly. In fact, he wasn't sure he'd meet somebody at all. He married young, didn't have many girlfriends before that. Right now, this is his first round of dating. It's a heady experience, and one he's not ready to give up yet.
4: Women do. If you're widowed, they're interested. It's definitely a plus over someone that's divorced.
6: Friday night is the second dance, and when I bump into Ernie, he's passing out these business cards. They have rainbows on them, and they read, Ernest, Ernie, W. Schmidt, married 32 years, widowed. I'm attracted to you. Let's be good friends. Sally, as you might imagine, is not so thrilled about this. She has enough good friends, at least for the time being. While Ernie mingles, we talk to her in the back room.
3: Oh, I would marry him, yeah. I mean, I... If we break up, I'm going to just be heartbroken. (laughs) It's going to be uh, really bad because my husband's been gone for 11 years, and uh, I haven't met anybody that I would marry.
6: Sally stops our interview saying she better get back to Ernie. She's worried that he'll miss her. A moment later, we head out from the back room. I see Ernie with a blonde woman, two stepping on the dance floor. Half an hour later, we run into Ernie and Sally kissing on the veranda. Sometime after this, Sally sends me a note. On the envelope she writes, in all capitals, I WILL marry Ernie someday. The night starts winding down. At least I think it starts winding down until I realize something. Nobody's planning on going to sleep. The people who come to SIA spend a lot of time alone. They crave company, affection, basic human contact. It's past midnight when the farmers leave the gazebo and return to the flagship hotel. Everybody's tired, but they don't go to bed. They hit the beach.
7: Come on, i got to show you something out here.
3: (laughs) Just
6: remember, I'm a very strong girl. Jim, the first guy I talked to back at the first dance, drags a fully clothed woman into the water.
2: Oh, you're crazy! Is it cold? You
6: There's something really high school-esque about the whole SIA experience. Like right now, the moon is out, the air is salty, and we're in this huge, awkward group. And what do people do to cash in on the moment? Pair off. Okay, here we
9: go.
2: Nope.
9: Germs,
6: germs, go away.
2: They sing. Never, you never come come to play. I call you
6: sick. You, you make me sick. sick. Note none of them has had a dropped drink.
9: The 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 The
0: evening winds down and the couples at SIA head toward the climactic night of their weekend in a minute when our program continues. ¶¶ This is American Life. I'm Ira Glass. Each week we choose a theme, of course, and invite a variety of writers and reporters and documentary producers to take a whack at that theme, today's theme, small towns. Liz Wilde's story continues about a four-day get-together of SIA, Singles in Agriculture.
6: Saturday, we wake up to some incredibly tedious meetings, which by some heroic faith, people manage to love. It completely undermines all critical standards of what's compelling, what's fun. Event financial record. Be forwarded to the national office within 90 days of the last day
4: of the activity.
6: Later Saturday afternoon, I catch up with Martha, the woman who told me that SIA gives her reason to live. She's in her room, sewing the final beads on a sweater she's making for tonight's banquet and flag ceremony. The handiwork seems to relax her. She's got this other sweatshirt, her hug shallow, sweatshirt, that she wears at the end of every SIA retreat. I met this
7: friend, and she sent me this bookmark that, about why God made hugs. And I can't, I don't remember it, but I had my daughter enlarge it on the computer and put it on a scroll, and I put it on a sweatshirt. And I could tell people that I didn't invent the hugs, God did. <laughs> because... He he gives a reason in this poem why, and you know you've seen pictures of how how much he loves
6: us and stretches out his arms and I like hugs. (laughs) Martha tells me she's a recovering alcoholic. She tells me that one of her children, her daughter, died in 1981. She works evenings at Kmart because she can't stand to spend her nights alone. It seems like
7: I've had so many bad things happen in my life that now something good is happening, you know, meeting these people. And yeah, my friend in Florida thinks I ought to go to uh, AA and
6: tell my story because she said, Martha, you've been through wars. Martha goes on to tell me that before SIA events, she gets so excited that she worries that she'll have a heart attack or a stroke. People spend a lot of time getting ready for Saturday night's banquet. Women wear dresses with slits and sequins. Men wear jackets, bolo ties. This is the big event, the final showdown. The evening starts with a prayer.
2: We take pause before you, God, acknowledging we can rest quietly in your arms with confidence and assurance of your love, grace, and mercy as we walk through this season called singleness as we ask, hope, and believe all things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, flag bearers, here we go.
6: What's going on here is really rather incredible. There are 50 men and women lined up in long aisles by twos. Each person is bearing a flimsy, nylon, handkerchief-sized flag on a long, thin pole. It'd be campy if people's eyes weren't so reverent, so serious. They march towards the front of the room. After dinner, a man gives a very boring talk on Russian agriculture. Plaques are awarded to old board members. Election results are announced for the new. At the end of the banquet, Eldon, the outgoing president, gets up to make a speech. He's good-looking, jovial, in his 40s. He beats the podium nervously with his hand. A smile creeps across his face.
9: So I guess I got one more thing I got to say, or I'm going to be a dead duck for this night's over. A year ago, I could not find hired help to go on harvest. I was ticked off i don't mind telling you my income was just plummeting like a rock uh, well i got to go to indiana we go to board meeting and i'm not harvesting so i don't have an excuse i met somebody there that <laughs> she, she probably don't like this but at the time it didn't really help my mood that much but <laughs> <laughs> fortunately she didn't give up and she stayed in contact with me so you people that you got to remember, I've been in this thing a long time. And I guess I wouldn't say that I had given up, but I really wasn't searching that hard. And uh, I found somebody, and it's going to result in a wedding dance, April the 5th. And uh, anybody that in. Been-
6: Everybody stands up and claps and hollers for what seems like a good 10 minutes. People are so exquisitely happy wistful jealous and proud the scene feels oddly like the end of the miss america pageant women cry and clasp hands over their mouths when the ovation fades they gather around the bride-to-be
8: hey, I'm, so proud. I'm so glad i'm so glad i'm
6: so happy i bet you yeah
2: i bet you all. are
3: in
6: the crowd i see martha looking overwhelmed she embraces eldon's fiancee
7: What a shock! Oh, you're so lucky. I'm lucky too.
2: Oh God, no, I'm not lucky. I'm
9: blessed. I know I'm not
7: supposed to envy people, but I'm blessed.
9: (laughs) Keep looking, Martha. I want love so bad.
6: By tonight at the dance, any reserve the farmers had has pretty much faded away. There's more winking, more flirting, more moving of hips. Less chat about seed corn around the edges of the room. When the Macarena queues up, Jim shakes his South Dakota booty with heartbreaking deliberateness and intent. Meanwhile, Kate, the tomboy with the eye for cowboy butts, remains in the back of the room. She spent most of her evening tangling with Rod, a tall, crazy-haired rancher who apparently does not like to dance. From 10 to 11, they pull and punch each other, get to know one another's bodies by yanking skirts and stealing hats. It's classic mating, junior high style. When they head out on the veranda, my producer and I follow. Dad, how's your
8: night going? How's my night going? It's all right. Uh-huh. Any any excitement? <laughs> <laughs> any excitement. Like, depends what whose excitement we're talking about. Yours. Well, it's oh. different.
6: Kate's been working on Rod since early this morning. They have similar ages, energy levels, goofy karmas. While Kate's been talking to us, Rod's been leaning on the railing, a couple of yards away. Just now, though, a tall brunette walks over and starts chatting him up. Kate doesn't move. She just gets quiet and loses interest in our interview entirely.
8: Listen to, I can listen to Marlene. I can listen to this girl talk over here. Because <laughs> she's like, she's telling you're the most handsome guy here. That's what she's telling me. I her, she say that. I mean I don't have to look at people but I can hear what the hell they're talking uh, about. And when I hear my name mentioned I kinda of perk up a little bit. She's talking about you over there. No, she's not talking she's she's after that guy. Uh-huh. I mean I knew that. She's with us today. So she's, after, just... she's after she's after i want to... That guy. I... She's after that guy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can just stand over here and make them talking to you guys and I can hear
6: everything. <laughs> tell, tell us what she's saying.
8: She says she said she said something about playing the this. Listen. Oh, she's going back. She ain't going to talk to him anymore. I'm going to see what is... Oh, he's not going back. Kate snags Rod, and the
6: two of them walk back into the gazebo. It's clear that this is only a minor glitch. The dance ends at midnight. Kate and Rod hop in a cab and head downtown. We make for the hotel. Jim offers us a ride in his van, which he bought especially for SIA events and which feels like a huge babe trap. The van is dark red and finely upholstered. Riding shotgun is Marie.
2: We're going to the hospitality room. (laughs) Where are you going? We'll liven it up. Where are you going? No yet.
7: We'll go back to Marie's room and party, huh?
2: Yeah, well let's go to my room and party.
6: (laughs) Major plans decided the moment gets more personal. This is the time for putting on moves to make something happen tonight.
7: So this is to my kind of music. What
6: kind of
0: music
7: you girls like? Well,
2: this is okay, you know, but... i It's just okay, huh?
7: <laughs> <laughs> got your tongue?
6: Later people, mostly men, sit around the hospitality suite. Jim pokes his head in. He grins and tells us that he's going upstairs with Marie. At 5 in the morning, Rod and Kate sheepishly come back from downtown. In the morning, the weekend ends with an egg and sausage breakfast, Amazing Grace, and the SIA tradition of everybody hugging everybody else in the room. Everybody looks exhausted, like students after exams. Martha spends a long time crying at the window, watching the cars pull out, talking about how she already misses the hugs. She's wearing her special hug sweatshirt the one with a poem sewn on the front. The loop appears to be starting over. Martha is returning to her empty trailer in Indiana, where she'll be lonely and work evenings at Kmart and save up her money for the next SIA event. But then something happens. A man pulls a game store coin out of his pocket. He gives it to her. She reads aloud.
3: (laughs) Good for
7: a hug and a kiss anytime, anywhere. It doesn't say any place.
9: <laughs>
7: can I have it? No, I
0: can't. It. No, it's the only one
3: I got. Well make a copy. Okay. <laughs> well, give me
9: give, give me my kiss. Here in front of
7: everybody? Oh, Yeah, Yeah, God too, God's
9: watching.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: When the two come out of the kiss, they both seem surprised. At the outset, they both expected a peck. But in the middle, something else kicked in. Something so basic that when it hits you, you don't ask why.
7: It's been a long time since I had a kiss. Act
0: 3 small town in the big city. Fact is, a small town can be anywhere, even in the heart of what many people see as one of the harshest urban environments in the country. Paul Johnson, Carlos Appleby, and San Antonio Brooks are teenagers, living in public housing on Chicago's south side at 4120 South Prairie. People who live there just call the building 4120. It's a high-rise building, 16 stories tall, 10 apartments on each floor, with an open-air hallway on each floor that uh, people who live there just call a porch we uh, sent them out with a tape recorder to their building to record uh, what happens there and then talk to them in our studios about how their building is like a small town
10: you can get haircuts there you know girls can get their hair done their nails done there clothes somebody that make clothes in the building it's Eighth. a candy store fire yeah it's a candy store fire
0: a real candy store or are you like- yeah, a real candy it's store there's a real candy store there's a couple of candy stores in, in the building and, and it's it like a real candy, it's like somebody's apartment they have a little thing right. set up right, right. there.
10: Right. sell food too it's like our own uh, you know, community inside the building now that we are on um, the 12th floor at the candy store and, um, they have like Six different varieties of Teddy Chips, all for 25 cents each. They have penny candy, meaning wine candy, Laffy taffies, and chews and things of that sort. They sell food, too. They got Italian beef's Pizza Puffs. Um, the people on the 12th floor, they didn't want to do our interview. They refused because they licensed. They didn't have so So um, we're going down to the 5th floor
0: right now. Compare the two a candy stores, 5th and the 12th. Which is a better one? The 12th. 12. 12. The 12th. The 12th. <laughs> Why? They sell food. <laughs> they,
10: they sell food. They sell, like, everything in a real grocery store. Everything. All, every type Almost everything you need. Pencil, paper, cards. That's really the grocery
0: store of the building. What, so what happens on the other fours? Let's talk about... Uh, tell me about what happens on six. What's it like? Six, it just...
10: <laughs> that's the place for them look kids. That's what yeah, look kids. That's at. where all
1: the look kids
0: be at. That's where all the
10: crumb snatchers run and play. Right.
8: Five, four. <laughs> all right,
10: What games do y'all play? Y'all play it. Yeah, it, it, it. Um, we
8: play We play, we play bingo. Bingo. What's his name? Oh. And um, we play the um, uh, we
3: play the Mario game. Mm. Y'all don't hang
10: with no boys?
3: No! Yeah, no!
8: What?
10: Boys yucky?
8: Yeah! They nasty? Yeah! That's why y'all don't like boys? Yeah! No! So, 12
0: <laughs> 12 flow. floor.
10: team might as well be just hot like his own. <laughs> don't nobody live up there. Right.
0: right. No, nobody ever. And it's always dark. Too. Nobody's living in any of those apartments. Yeah,
10: they yeah. live there, but it seems like they don't. Yeah.
0: It's just dark.
10: And they, the nine and the eight. That's why nine, eight, and seven, that's why all the fights at. Right. You wanna see a fight, it's it's for sure it's gonna be a fight on one of those flows.
0: Mm, and why those for us? Cause uh, that's I, I don't that's know. where most people hang out on on a
10: nine, eight and seven. Right. It's a fight. Or well, um you can play games or whatever you wanna do. Um so what are we gonna do? Play cards while y'all
0: get cheap? Yeah.
10: In love with Mary Jane. <laughs>
0: okay, hey, now you guys should explain where we are. Right now, we're on the eighth floor in an apartment eight on one. And is this a card game that happens all the time? Yeah. 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 Now, are these guys your age? Or are they older? Cool. Older.
10: Yeah, uh, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two and up.
0: What card game are they playing? Spades. The of the three of you, who's the best card player? Me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's play one more of the tape
10: you ain't got no mother job how the f- can you get fired on your day off man you gotta be you gotta be a stupid mother to get fired on your day off
0: Now, I've got to say, that when you first played this tape, when you first gave this tape to producer Nancy Updake and I, we heard this and we thought, yeah, how do you lose your job on your day off? Like, what (laughs) is the (laughs) end of these guys? But in fact, there is something else going on here, isn't there? Yeah, Yeah, they was acting out the movie Friday,
10: and that was, like, one of the scenes in the movie. So they was, like, reacting it.
0: Let's hear that scene. You ain't got no job. How the hell are you going to get
8: fired on your day off? God damn.
2: You got to be a stupid motherfucker to get fired on your day off.
0: You guys like that scenes from movies a lot while you're playing cards. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Everybody acting silly, cracking jokes.
10: You know, that's how, that's when you play your best game, when you are uh, relaxed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, you actually tried to interview these guys while you sat there playing cards, and you, and you tried for, like, an hour.
10: Well, um, we kept asking them questions over and over, but... They they pretty much weren't trying to tell nothing. right? Cause they thought we uh, was was trying to help the law out. So yeah, so no, we was with the police trying to get indictments out on them. So they ain't want to say nothing. How long you been living in this building? Like um, ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you consider this building a small town? <laughs> yeah, like here. News? Is you a news reporter for real, man? Working for the white man. I'm just what, the what the f- I, I think we better go to the radio and play that song. Yeah, white man's world. Yeah. <laughs> so y'all calling me white just because I'm answering no, you asking you? No, sir. No, we're better.
8: not. No, 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 no,
0: You think in some ways it is like a small town?
10: Mm, to me, it, it is. It is like a small town because small town is like everybody is family, and a lot of people like San Antonio, you got a lot of family in that building. I believe we got the most family in there. Like on every floor, right. you'll find somebody in this family.
0: Right. I got the most family. I think I got the most. All um, right. Run it down. Let me hear who on who floor. Like, give it to me from top to bottom.
10: Uh, the sixteenth. Um, let me see. I don't really got nobody on the sixteenth or the uh, 15, fourteen. I think I got a cousin. Uh, cousin that's there on the twelve, eleven. I got a uh, grandmother that's there on the eleven. The 10th, I got an auntie that stay on the 10th. Uh, my Well, I stay on the 8th. Auntie on the 6th. I stay on the 5th. And my other grandmother stay on the 3rd.
0: And just let me be sure, when, when you stay on the 5th, who are you staying with? My mother. And on the 8th? My grandmother. And you interviewed your grandmother, right?
10: I interviewed my other grandmother. I stayed with the one on the 8th, but I interviewed the one on the 3rd.
0: And she grew up in a small town, right?
10: Uh-huh, yes, in Mississippi. Do you um do you get homesick to go th- back down to the south?
8: No, I don't get homesick. I go down there and visit my mom, but I don't get homesick to live down there anymore. I grew up in the south. I had a rough time in the south. Uh, I picked cotton, chopped cotton, picked them for a little amount of money, and I chopped cotton from sun up to sundown. Didn't really make very much money and we didn't have very much down there.
10: If you had a choice which which would you think would be better to raise your children in this building or back in in the south.
8: Well, you know like I said, basically it's the same now because down south it just is this is by as much going on down south as is here because they learn here, they learn here how to sell drugs and all of that. they take it back down south. Now this is a drug down south. Almost is here.
0: Now, Paul, you also interviewed your own mom. Yeah. Okay, let's hear that.
4: Um, what is your name?
9: Linda Johnson. Um, how do you feel about the building? Well, I think the building is kind of nice. Just too many rowdy kids. Do you feel like it's like a small town? Yes, because every damn buddy in here got a damn child by somebody's man.
1: It's like, everybody know everybody?
9: Yes. Everybody f***ing everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Is
0: this the way she talks all the time? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Carlos, you're on the second floor, right? Right. And what's your floor like? My floor is just plain bored.
10: Because, you know, like... All the people down there, you know. They um, hypes. Right. They hypes. Yeah, I got drug addicts on the left, drug <laughs> addicts on the right. You living around a bunch of drug addicts and it's boring?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
10: well, it, it depends on um, if they have they, um daily New medication. Medicine, yeah. And <laughs> the a, a real definition for a hype is, you know, like a person that smokes every day Constable. but don't have no money, you know, they dirty, have, like, one pair of pants no certain maybe a half a pair of shoes or something <laughs> you know like them and you know them like the people that do anything for the drug now we see hypes coming up the street yeah Put the battle from rocks right
0: you got some work brother man no sir let me just ask you to explain what work is it's, it's the drug, the crack cocaine.
10: And hey, you know who working? I don't know.
4: Check around there uh, by the stove on the back of the building.
9: All right, man. What
4: would
0: you guys say is the biggest problem at 4120? Biggest problem? Yeah, for you all, anyway.
10: It's the um, female situation. You, you got to leave the building just for just for you to have a female because there isn't any, you know, age. Either they 25 and up or they a little kid like 10 years old and down. So that's pretty much the problem. Explain where the girls go. They just leave. For some reason, it's like they'll come in and stay a little while, and then all of a sudden their family decide it's time to move on, so they leave.
0: Now, do you just think it's a coincidence the girls leave, or do you think it's one of these things where the family say, "Well, this building is kind of, you know, it's kind of rough, and we don't want a girl around in this environment. We're going to take our girls out." Whereas people with boys, you know, they just stick around. I think that's
10: I think that's what it is. They they just want to get their daughters away from the building. If it if it is some girls in that age, we don't we don't want to mess with them because of the situation that they be in and the situation that they be causing.
0: Yeah, you just don't feel that the, the girls in the building there aren't that many who are doing that much. It's positive, right? Right.
10: right. Most of them don't even go to school no more. Yeah, right. you know, it's people, it's females that dropped out that's
0: younger than me, and I'm only seventeen, and they like fourteen, thirteen. Yeah. If Forty One Twenty is a small town, is it one where you guys would choose to live if you had a choice?
10: Yeah, It's okay to live
0: out of me. It's
10: okay to live there, but. I want to live in my own house, tell you the truth. A place where, so, you know, I have upstairs and downstairs. And a basement. Yeah, and all that.
0: <laughs> why a basement? If all the things you name, why a basement? Hey, you,
10: you could throw a party down there, have card games. My auntie, she got a house with a basement. And that's where she go when she when she don't want to be bothered with the people upstairs. She go downstairs in her basement she got a nice little TV down there and some furniture down there. I always come back and visit the building because that's where I grew up. It's fun now. But, uh, I wouldn't want to be there all my life.
0: If their building is in fact a kind of small town, then when they move away, San Antonio and Carlos and Paul will probably experience what Sarah Val's mom experienced. Well, the couple I interviewed at the beginning of this program experienced when they moved away from their small towns, which is, they find they don't exactly fit into the new worlds they move to, but they no longer fit in their hometown anymore either. As Letta Sneed, the wife of the couple at the beginning of the show, said,
2: So I do feel uncomfortable with living the city life, but on the other hand, it's very hard for me to conceptualize going back a small town and I've often wondered I've often questioned myself where do I fit and I think for the past eight years the sad truth is that I feel away in a way a bit homeless like I don't fit in either world
0: well it's like it's like you ate from the tree of knowledge you exactly. know exactly. Our program was produced today by Elise Spiegel and myself with Nancy Update, Julie Snyder, and Paul Tuff. Contributing editors Sarah Val, Jack and Margie Rockland. Production help from Christina Stevens. Special thanks today to Renee Davis and Street Level Youth Media and the Elliott Donnelly Youth Center on Chicago's South Side. Our Story with San Antonio, Paul, and Carlos was produced as one of their programs doing media with inner-city teenagers. Thanks also today to John Simpkins. We're pleased to announce today that This American Life has won the George Foster Peabody Award. If you'd like a copy of this or any of our programs, they only cost $10, call us at WBEZ in Chicago. The phone number, 312-832-3380. Again, 312-832-3380. Our email address, radio at well.com. Funding for This American Life has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, and the listeners of WBEZ Chicago. WBEZ Management Oversight by Tori Malatillo, who can be heard most days wandering around the office singing this song.
8: I will
3: be a helper at home, at church, at school.
0: I'm Ira Glass, back next week with more stories of This American Life.